Good morning, everybody. Uh, before I get too far into this, you need to get your passport. You cannot go without your passport. Well, you can go. You cannot come back without your passport. Um, so I'd encourage everybody, even if you're, even if you're un- completely unsure, it's good to still have your passport. You never know when God's going to call you to do something, and that allows you to be ready. You're prepared to go when the call comes. So getting your passport can t- actually take a long time, so I would just get started right now. Okay, we are continuing in our series in Genesis. We are drawing to a close here in the final chapters, uh, talking about Joseph and his brothers, and the main focus for the next few chapters is going to be on Joseph himself. And as I was considering this, I was considering uh, our values here at Westside and some of the things that really come out in these passages. And our number one value here at Westside is God Almighty. We value who God is, what He's done in our lives. We value um, His consistency through all time, His faithfulness to us. And just considering the whole, um, the idea of what the gospel message is and the reason why people sometimes come to Christ. And it's not always for the gospel. Sometimes people come to Christ because they just grew up in the church and their family said, we follow after God. And they said, okay. And a lot of people from the front said, well, God's going to make it so your life is good and it's going to be blessed. And we get whatever our mindset of that means, which may not be specifically what the Bible means when it says good and blessed. Um, And so I want to just take a moment to break down, and this is going to come really relevant within this passage, on what the gospel means to us, and that God came to this earth, and he lived as a man. He lived as a man to show that it could be done. It could be done to live a sinless life. It's not something we can do, but it's something that God was able to do for us, so that he could make the ultimate sacrifice for us. And a sacrifice has to be made for sin and the sin in our lives. So every single one of us can be freed of that sin. And the big thing to realize um, that which is the heart of the gospel is each and every one of us before Jesus is a slave. We're going to look today and talk about this topic of someone who is a slave. Every single person on this earth before Christ, before a true acceptance of the realization of what he's done, you were a slave and you were a slave to your sin. There's not a whole lot of realization of that sometimes, particularly when you're out in the world and you just accept what is. And I've watched this happen in people's lives where you grew up with nothing different, so you didn't even realize you were a slave. I didn't realize I was being subject to my passions, that I was enslaved to them. I was enslaved to this life. I was enslaved to this way of this world, and I didn't understand why it always felt like there was something more, why was there always sorrow, why was there always suffering, why was there always pain, why was there always difficulty, and there's just always this phase of life. But that's just the way it is, is what we grow up sometimes in. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm going to set you free from this. I'm going to take everything away. You are no longer subject to any of that. You are free to now walk in light for the rest of your life. I am not going to promise that your life will be easy. I'm not going to promise that your life will be comfortable. I'm not going to promise that no one will ever be mean to you again, or no other person will ever sin against you in your life, but you can be free from it. You don't have to walk in it anymore. 
And at the end of your life, you get to walk with me into eternity. You get to be free. And what he's asked of us in response to that is, will you follow me now? Will you follow the Redeemer? Will you follow the one that canceled all of your debt, that showed you goodness, showed you a better way to live, a a life that isn't full of sorrow and pain and suffering, but it's a difference within it. There are things that still hurt in this world. There are still things that will make us sad in this world, but we are filled with the joy of the Lord through these things. This is what Joseph experiences in our story. This is what he's not willing to give up. I'm not willing to give up what my God has done for me. It is by no comparison what the world can offer. By no means will I do such things to sin against my God. This is the God that we chase after. This is the God we serve. This is the God we're willing to die for because He freed us from everything. And when we look at the last chapter, it talks about how messy life is. As we walk through this life, knowing that God said, hey, it's, it's not easy. I never promised you it would be easy. And I'm sorry if anybody told you that. You come to Jesus, all your problems are solved. Well, the real problems are, but not all the problems of the world. They're still here. And life will be messy. It won't always be black and white. The right choices will sometimes result in unfortunate consequences. And we can just feel like this isn't fair. And that's the emphasis of this chapter. Life isn't fair. It is both messy and unfair. And God says, but I will be with you through it. If you walk with me, it will be far more bearable than without me. And at the end of it, we'll laugh together into eternity and we'll enjoy joy forevermore. But while you're here, it will both be messy and unfair. Will you still walk with me? And so this whole entire chapter is about being steadfast under trial. We're going to see Joseph make the right decisions and be punished for it. That's unfair. We can look at those things happen in our life when we see bad things happen to good people and we say, Lord, how could you let this happen? God said, well, life's not fair. I didn't let that happen. They did that. The people in the story, they did that to him. I'm still with Joseph the whole time. The thrust of this story is, look how God was still with Joseph the whole time. And in through every situation of Joseph's life, it, was, it could have been so much worse, but God was there. And a big part of it is a realization of Joseph that God is there. He knows he's in a bad spot, but he's not wallowing in that. He's not blaming God for this. He's pressing on forward, walking with his Lord. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. <laughs> Say that fast. <laughs> the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. There's going to be a lot of repetition we're about to hear. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. 
From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So they left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. When you see this kind of repetition and you read that, you can go, you could have done that in one sentence. (laughs) You're right. So why didn't they? It's purposeful. It's not just they're trying to make this longer. They want you to focus in on this thing that Joseph had charge over everything. That's remarkable. Joseph is a slave. He was bought. He's property. They could have had him do whatever they wanted him to do. And normally it was the most menial things that you yourself don't want to do. That's why you would buy a person, unfortunately. So they can take care of all this stuff you don't want to take care of. But within this context, context, Joseph is given responsibility. And the master sees that he's successful. And so he trusts him in that. And so he gives him a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more responsibility and sees, you're faithful, so I'll give you more. You're faithful, so I'll give you more. You're faithful, so I'll give you more. To such an extent that he sees that God is with him and puts him over everything. We're going to see in this chapter that nothing is withheld from Joseph except Potiphar's wife. Everything else he has access to. The amount of privilege that he has, it, has in this house. I won't say he has freedom, but he has agency. The ability to make choices, the ability to move around, the ability to live in some measure of comfort still. That how blessed he is in a bad situation. That this could have been so much worse than it is. He could have had a harsh master that put him in the most menial tasks and beat him daily. It's a very real possibility, but it's not what came about here. God saw him in this trial and blessed his faithfulness. But it's not a a quick period of time. It's not, we read this and we see it in five lines. That's 11 years. It's 11 years that he's in this house. And so it's something that builds up over time. Trust builds over time. It's more of a message to all of the younger folks in the audience. When you're just rearing and ready to go and catch the world by its tail, trust builds over time. No one's going to set you in charge over everything immediately. You've got to work into it. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be there day after day after day after day. You've got to show up. And he proved himself faithful, and he was blessed for it. And the amount of tasks that he would have been set over, it's the equivalent of a of a CEO of a small business. He would have been doing things like overseeing accounts, managing staff, investing resources, overseeing production, um, any sort of maintaining of facilities, brokering sales and contracts. We think an estate, not, a, not the house we go home to. This is what he would have been managing for the Egyptian. He's a very high-profile individual in the court of Pharaoh. So that he big name here, a lot of responsibility that Joseph's been given. And it's the kind of spot in life of that, I'm a slave, and yet I have, this is the best it could possibly be. Why would I ever throw that away? And then right here we get, and Joseph was really handsome in form and appearance. Now, out of Genesis 29, 
10 chapters ago. It says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Rachel is Joseph's mother. And it's the same, it's the same line, but the male versus female counterpart of that. Joseph is the male version of a knockout. He is a very handsome man. Why even say that? Why is your friend when you read scripture? Why is that there? Why did that need to be there? They don't describe how everybody looks when you read about them. It doesn't describe like when Abraham, he had just a bulbous nose and Isaac, I mean, he was a stud and it doesn't say that. (laughs) But every now and then it will point that out out of a particular person for a reason. In this case, this is going to be an issue for Joseph. This is going to be the crux of the story that he is attractive and someone is going to try to draw him into sin because of it. Some of the things that are a blessing to us can end up being a curse if we're not careful. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. This great wickedness and sin against God. It's the original original sin. To see something that looks like you might want, that you're not supposed to have, and take it anyways, which always results in sorrow. When you see, you take, you have sorrow. And Joseph says, no way are we doing that today. Why on earth would I throw all of this away for that? Because we're still in a time where they killed you for that. It's, it's not just the issues that will come with adultery, and we'll talk about those. It's also, you know, how about we do this thing that they might kill you for? And you will lose literally everything for. It's like, no, what are you doing? Get, a- get away from me. And that should be our response in those those times. Get away from me. No. This is inconceivable. How can you even toy with this idea? But for her, there's probably not going to be much of a consequence. And that's something that we will actually find as we go through life, is that oftentimes the one tempting you is not the one who's going to have consequence from it. They're not going to have the same results you are from it. It's a great wickedness against God. Why would I throw away this blessing? Why would I scorn everything God has done? I could be beaten day by day, but instead I've got access to everything. And it's day after day. I found that wording so intriguing because it's not just one time that you stand up for what's right. God says this and I will stand in this. Leave me be. And most people of the world don't go, Well, I respect how you feel. 
They go, okay, we'll see how you feel tomorrow. We'll try again tomorrow. See how you feel then. I had a friend who did this before he came to Christ. Um, before I had known him, uh, he was working, and there was a coworker of his that was a believer, and his goal was to break her composure day after day after day after day. And he later, when he came to Christ, felt really bad about what he had done because it became a game to him. Let's see if I can get her to break. Let's see if I can prove her to be a hypocrite for no personal benefit other than to be mean. This is what some people of the world will choose to do. And it will be day after day after day after day after day after day after day, which is where the endurance comes from. There's only so much you can actually do to separate yourself from the pressures and the temptations of the world. There's plenty you can do. But if you work from somebody that just hits you with something every single day, eventually you might have to make the choice, I might have to leave this job because I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Sometimes it gets to that point. Or perhaps you have this context where you've got someone you're working with and they are coming on to you day after day after day after day and you've told them no. You might have to leave that job. How far are we willing to go to actually maintain because there's only so much you can do. You can create boundaries. You can create space, and you should. You should tell them no. You should tell them exactly how you feel. No, ma'am. No, sir. Never going to happen. That won't necessarily change how they respond to you, unfortunately. Even with making those boundaries, even when stating it clearly, what do we do? Part of it, we, have to, we are called to endure. It's not always this thing that's the issue. Sometimes it's just somebody being mean. Sometimes it's just life being unfair. Sometimes it's being in a context that we didn't deserve and you can't get out of it. Joseph can't leave. He's a slave. He can't go anywhere. He's stuck. There are times in our life where you are stuck and you've got to deal with it. We're called to endure. We're called to press into God, a reliance on Him. It's a changed heart. It's no longer a, I'm just choosing to do this to know that it's because I know it's bad, so I'm choosing not to do this. No, I'm choosing to do this because how on earth could I do that? That's a changed heart. Because there are plenty of things in this world that we know that we're not supposed to do, but if they were okay, we'd be like, well, maybe. But are we actually at the point where like, that's inconceivable to me? It's not just because God says not to do it and I fear the consequences of it. It's inconceivable. It's a changed heart that we're asking for from the Lord and a reliance on Him completely for and seeking Him for that perseverance and endurance because sometimes it'll be day after day after day after day and it can feel crushing. What do you do? You create healthy boundaries. You create space. You make sure that you're always in a spot of accountability. Tell somebody your struggle. Check in on me. Pray with me. I might call you in the middle of the night. I'm struggling. I need you to pray with me right now. I need to work through this. You need somebody in your life like that. We are not called to be islands. It's like, well, I got Jesus. 
Yes, you do. But when you are physically alone and you are tempted, you need to pick up the phone or you need to go over to somebody's house or you need to get in community. God has given us community to help and love and support and care for each other. These are, you're not meant to work in isolation. That's when the devil gets you. Create a system of accountability for yourself so that you don't stumble and fall. It's right out of Ecclesiastes. Woe to the one who is alone, for when he falls, there is no one to pick him up. But blessed is the one that walks with a friend, for when he stumbles, there will be someone to pick him up. It's right there in Scripture for us. Get a friend, get an accountability partner, someone to just say like, you know, I struggle too, we can get through this. You don't have to give in. Daylight the issue. It's amazing how much easier things are when you bring it out into the light. So the big issue at hand here, the adulteress, adultery in and of itself. I didn't think that was going to be actually the main topic of this particular talk, but it's here, and so we're going to talk about it. Adultery is bad. (laughs) There are three chapters in Proverbs dedicated to this, like whole chapters dedicated to this one topic about be wary, run away, don't be tempted. This is a very real issue today. I looked at statistics, as much as statistics can find, and out of people surveyed over the last, it was somewhere between 2010 and 2018, a couple of surveys, it was very consistent, the numbers, somewhere between 16% and 20% of married couples, one of them will end up having an affair. That's one out, basically one out of five married couples. It's not a small number. It's a very real thing that happens. It's not usually something that happens in a fit of passion either. It's something that's going to happen that's going to build and develop over time. A relationship where you put yourself in a spot where you draw, drew closer and closer and closer and closer to somebody that you should have never been drawing closer to. A lot of times we knew better, but we gave ourselves an excuse, well, what's wrong with me being their friend? Well, is that really what's in your head? Or are they giving you something emotionally that you wish was coming from your spouse? That should be the first warning sign. I need to go and work on my marriage right now. There's an issue because I'm being drawn to this other person and what they're sending my way, whether it be admiration or kindness or a listening ear, whatever it might be. The moment you have that, wow, I'm getting that from them and not from my spouse, you and your spouse need to go have a talk. You're not in a great spot. You need to start working on things. Maybe you gotta go to do some counseling, but you gotta go start working on your marriage immediately. It Otherwise, it will lead down a slippery slope. Proverbs 5 says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion. Your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. The whole idea then is it's going to sound really good. It's going to be really, really tempting. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, which means the grave. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. Proverbs 6, 
I love this illustration. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burned? That's the analogy. You're holding fire right here and thinking, it's fine. This isn't going to go wrong. I've got this. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and disgrace will not be wiped away. There are lasting consequences. There is the potential for healing. There is the potential for forgiveness. There is potential from life on the other side of this. But there are lasting consequences. You can never undo that that happened. So avoid it. For jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. And this ties right into Proverbs 27. Wrath is cruel, anger is well overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? The essential argument of that is that spouse might kill you for doing that. People kill over this. Now, today, people still kill over this. Not only might you have to deal with the emotional ramifications, the social ramifications, the family ramifications, someone might actually try to kill you for this. Proverbs 7. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she is laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to the grave, going down to the chambers of death. We are strongly warned, strongly warned against adultery. When you ask the question why, it's right there. It causes suffering. It causes pain. It causes dishonor, disgrace, and potentially someone wanting to murder you. There are enough warnings there for if it hasn't happened yet to flee the temptation. And I got to this point in my notes and I thought for a moment, what if it has happened? What if someone's walking in that? I know, plenty of, I know plenty of folks that have walked through the other side of this. Their spouses were willing to walk with them. There was healing. There was redemption. There was working through it. But it was a long road. It wasn't quick. It was painful. There's not a single person I've talked to that has walked this road and thought, yeah, I thought it was a good decision. It was okay. Pain, sorrow, suffering. That is possible, but it is one of the most clearest things in Scripture where your spouse is perfectly legitimate, allowed to leave you. And I think that brings a lot of fear. For someone who has committed this, 
they're repentant in their heart. This was such a terrible decision. I wish I'd never done this, but now what do I do? Do I tell my spouse because they might leave me? This might tear apart my family. This might cause huge issues for the rest of my life. And yes, it might, but it's something you've done. And everyone that I've talked to about this that did walk, up, walk through this, the real healing never happened until they brought it to the light. It was a continued suffering and sorrow within themselves until they actually brought it to the light. And it could result in your spouse leaving you. It could result in your family being broken apart. But I wish those things were on your mind before you did it. And so I would just encourage you to go before the Lord and walk in the light. You, first of all, need to stop if you are doing this right now. Stop immediately. End the relationship immediately. Set firm boundaries immediately. You need to go before the Lord. You need to confess their sin to Him. You need to turn and do a complete 180, never looking back at it. Amen. That is clear in Scripture. What is unfortunately not clear is what you do from there. We can see that if you defraud somebody, you need to go make it right. If there's something between you two, you need to go make it right. It doesn't specifically talk about adultery because if you committed adultery when Scripture was being written, they would have killed you. So now here we are now. I would encourage you, you need to go make it right. And it will be hard. It'll be one of the hardest things you probably ever do. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, that's a problem right there. That's the one, that's the one mistake we can account for Joseph. Being alone with a person who's trying to seduce you is not wise. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. I just want to talk about the severity of what's going on of her aggressiveness here. His garment would have been essentially a large shirt, meaning she ripped his shirt off trying to aggressively seduce him. So he's running out of the house half naked here. That's the level of aggression that she's putting towards this, trying to seduce him. And what does he do? The right choice. He flees the situation. Run away as fast as you can, even if it's half naked out of a house and you have to explain some other awkward questions. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called the men of the house and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant who you've brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant has treated me, his anger was kindled. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where Joseph was, where the king, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. First and foremost, before we get into the injustice of this, Joseph did the right thing. He fled, fled as quick as he possibly could. First Corinthians six: Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a per. In a, a, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. For th- 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this one you need to hold on to dearly. Yeah. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You are not alone in this. These temptations are common to all mankind. You are not alone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Meaning, it's not beyond your ability because he's given you an escape. But if you stay in it you're likely to stumble. Take the escape that God has provided for you. It might not always be a decision you want to make. You may not want to leave that job, but you have the ability to. God says it's better this than to sin. He gives other apt comparisons. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's not literally talking about maimed people, but it's saying you might have to make a drastic decision in order to stand firm. It's the way of escape that I've given you. Will you take it or will you hold the hot coals next to your chest and see if that works out? Joseph did the right thing. He fled. He did as much as he could for a slave. He did what was right. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet, trials do still come. James 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It doesn't seem like Joseph deserves this. He's already been sold into slavery. He's already had his family betray him. He's already in this situation that he has no escape from. Why does he deserve this? He's just been faithful and steadfast. Why would he be enduring another trial? And God says, another trial might come. I'm not going to tell you why. You know why? I'm God. I think we forget that sometimes. He's God. And you are not. I am not. It's something that needed to be learned, or it's something that needed to occur. And there's going to be much more that Ty is going to get into on that next week, of why God sometimes has us walk a certain path. But we can be in that situation, and when you're in it, it's hard to see that. It's hard to see everything ahead of you when you're in the deepest part of the valley. When you're so far down in the valley, you feel like you're actually in a pit, and I can't see anything in front of me except for the situation where I did everything that was right, Lord, and I was punished for it. Yeah. 
And I would say during that time, consider 2 Timothy 2. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We will sometimes be in this situation simply to be able to shine God's light in the most darkest situations of life. To be able to say, God was willing to suffer and die, be humiliated, and go through excruciation for my sake when he didn't deserve that. And I'm called to emulate him. I'm called to endure as he's endured. I'm called to suffer for the sake of the gospel as he suffered. I will remember what my great king did for me. I will remember that he set me free. And all of this is just a passing moment. I'm going to shine his light until my last breath. Even if I'm in this pit for the rest of it, I'm going to set the example so that someone else might see it and see their Savior. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. So here we are again. What was at the beginning is now at the end. We're in a new situation. It's a bad situation, but it's the best possible outcome in this situation because the Lord is still with him. It could be so much worse. He could be in chains in a cold, damp cell being half starved to death without any light or hope of anything. That could be the situation, but it's not. In our situation, take time to reflect. It could be so much worse. But God is with me, and God is taking care of me through this. I may not enjoy where I'm at. I'm pretty sure he doesn't enjoy being in prison. And the prison of your life in certain circumstances and times probably wasn't enjoyable. But was God with you still? It's easy to look back and go, you know, he sure was. It's really hard to be in it and recognize that. But it's really important to recognize that when we're in it because it helps us to not despair. It helps us to press on, to hold on to joy, to continue moving forward in his light. What we're seeing here is a really, really strong juxtaposition to Judah. Juxtaposition is that big word. It's like a mountain and a molehill. We're seeing this comparison to Judah. Two people that are out in the world. One of them chose to be and one of them didn't. One of them had all the freedom in the world and one of them doesn't. How do you respond when the temptations of the world come your way? And they were given the same temptations. It's sexual sin that's being addressed here. And Judah just dove right in and ended up being humiliated at the end of it. Joseph resisted, was rejected by the world 
through this, and yet He is exalted through it. It's a humility that we need to walk through life in. It's a strong comparison that we're we're supposed to see between these two brothers. There's two choices you can make as you go out into the world. You can either be just like it and end up humiliated, or you can be against it. You're going to be rejected by the world, but God will exalt you through it. So what can we learn? Well, from the very beginning, life is not fair. It doesn't always look the way we think it should. I did X, Y, and Z. I sh- everything should be going this way. Why is it not, Lord? My immediate response to that would be, by what standard? When we say life isn't fair, that's true. And life should be this way, I'd ask why. Why should it be that way? What are you comparing that to? Are you comparing it to the rest of the world around you? Well, they're all real comfortable, and they got all the toys, and they got the big house, and yes, and they're also mortgaged up to their eyeballs. God has called us to be free from those things. Don't desire it. Don't be enslaved to the lender but it should be this way. I'm doing all the right things. Yeah, but you have, you have peace. Do they have peace? You have community. Do they have community? The truest sense of it? You have joy. Do those people seem happy? We have to consider by what standard are we measuring when we say life isn't the way I think it should be. Sometimes bad things do happen to good people. That's really hard. But it really happens. It's because people have choice. People always have a choice to do what's good or what's not good. Sometimes things happen outside of our choice. Sometimes people get sick. Nobody did this, but somebody got sick. It just doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. We can often ask God, why, why this, why them, why this time? And I hope he answers us at some point, but he doesn't often offer those kind of answers. He just says, life will be difficult. I will carry you. Can you press into me? Can you still trust me when things are difficult, when things aren't fair? And to remember within that God hasn't abandoned you. Just because things are hard doesn't mean a lack of God. There's that illustration of the footsteps on the beach where it says, God, in the difficult parts of my life, you stopped walking beside me. It says, no, that's when I was carrying you. That's why there's only one set of footsteps at that point. Just because it's really, really difficult doesn't mean God left. We just have to remember to press in ever more. And we are called to endure. <clears throat> Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do, not, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. 
Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with us?